Today we finish up the book of Acts. We started preaching through this book in March of 2016, right after Easter that year. And then uh, after about 21 or so weeks in, some circumstances occurred in the life of our church that led us to, to change directions. Namely, one of the ones was when my wife was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which as I describe as the I can't open my Bible and she can't close her Bible phase of my life. And if you've, if you've dealt with anything that's been a trial like that, you know what I'm talking about. So that led myself and the team here at New City to say, hey, let's take a little bit different direction in our preaching for this season. And so we hopped into the book of Philippians where we talked about non-circumstantial joy. And it was just a, a joyous time for us to, to look at Jesus through the lens of the book of Philippians. But then we picked up back in the book of Acts about four months ago. And here we are with a total of 41 weeks in the book, wrapping up this amazing story of God's church that's described here. And so we've called this series As You Go because that's the best way to describe God's mission. It's not because you go make disciples. It's not when you go make disciples. It's as you go because we're all on a journey. We're all on a pilgrimage seeking God's face. And God takes us through different twists and terms. And, and the temptation is to think that God is in, only in the midst of the places that you desire to go. Uh, the circumstances you want to endure, and the trail that you planned to blaze. But I've got really good news for you this morning. It, it doesn't matter how we get where we are, because no matter what we will see, one thing is certain. God is there. God is there in the middle of it. And so this week as I was preparing for this last sermon to wrap up the book of Acts for us, I was reading through the chapters of Acts 27 and 28, and i, I got to be honest with you, I was talking with a couple people on our staff, and you can judge me if you want, I'm like, why is Acts 27 in the Bible? Like why, I mean, work with me here for a second before you call me a heretic and pull me off the stage. Why does Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, who documented the story of the church through, through the apostles, why does he spend an entire chapter and a half talking about a shipwreck when he only spent a few verses talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit? You see what I'm talking about? I'm thinking, why, why is this whole thing in there and why is it in laborious detail about this, this shipwreck? I mean, if it were me, I would have written the book of Acts like this. And I, again, I, I, you know, it's not, it's not me, which is good. But I would have started with Acts 27.1 and it, and it would say this. And it was decided that they should sail for Italy. And I would pick up right in Acts 28.16 where it says, and when we came into Rome, because I, I think the, the things that matter the most are, are kind of the high points, okay? We, we, went to, we were headed for Rome, and there was a little bit of hardship. Who cares about that? Let's just get to Rome. And the thing is, is that you and I probably all do the same thing. And you know why? Because something deep inside of us is broken. Something deep inside of us is broken because there, there are moments that I, speaking for myself, do not believe in theory, that, that God could possibly be in the middle of a shipwreck. Call the shipwreck what you want in your life. The thing that you didn't plan for. The thing you didn't see coming. I mean, sure, theologically, I understand it. Uh, it's good. i got good theology there. But in my reality, in my experience, I don't believe that all the time. In my experience, whenever the hardship and the shipwreck comes and the diagnosis and whatever it is, the, the loss of job or whatever it would be, that's where I pan away to a different scene. Because I don't want to remember that. 
I don't want to remember the pain. I don't want to remember the suffering. I don't want to remember the heartache because I think God's not in it and that it didn't do anything for my walk and growth in Jesus. Now, the story of Acts 27 and this detailed account of a shipwreck is I think realistically what it's actually like to live on God's mission. I think it's the reality of what it's actually like to be on mission with God. Two different church planters this week asked me uh, what the hardest thing about church planting is. And I spend a lot of time with church planters and help them. And, and you know, they think, that, they think that New City Church is, you know, beautiful and God's doing some good work here. And so they're interested in kind of the journey we've been on. And so two, two different guys this week asked me, hey, what's the hardest thing about church planting? You know what I told them? I am. It's me. I'm the biggest problem in the church because... Uh, as one, as one author put it, I, I don't like to think about the hardship and the trial and the pain and the relational dysfunction and all those things that you endure. I don't want to think that those things are part of the plan, but they are. This church has been first and foremost about the sanctification of Brian Johnson and maybe everyone else that's been a part of this. And uh, it's been beautiful. We don't want to believe that our souls are enlarged through suffering. We don't want to believe that that's the case. But here we have Paul. He'd been, taking the, he'd been longing to take the Gospel to Rome his entire life. So the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem and it ends in Rome. And there's this phrase in Acts 1-8 that says that uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, everywhere Paul planted churches, and where you know, Peter was preaching, and to the ends of the earth. And, and in this time, to the ends of the earth would have been to the ends of the known world, which would have been Rome and Spain. That would have been what they were thinking about. But, but here we have Paul, who's supposed to be headed for Rome, shipwrecked and barely scraping by, like literally on a two-by-four, to coast into the island of Malta, which is not Rome. Due to the providence of God through some poor leadership over Paul on that ship, decisions were made and there was this crisis at hand, and they barely made it to Malta. So here's the question you need to consider this morning. Here's why you need the shipwreck, and so do I, okay? Here's what you need to consider. What do we do when we're supposed to go to Rome and we end up in Malta? You guys tracking with me? You following the metaphor? We're supposed to be in Rome, but somehow we're in Malta. You set yourself up for the perfect marriage and you find yourself struggling and on the verge of throwing in the towel. You're in Malta. You're in your late 20s or 30s and you see your friends getting married and you're not there yet. Malta. Your family is against your faith. They don't see eye to eye with the way you're living your life. You're in Malta. You just got let go unexpectedly. You have no idea how you're going to take care of your family or yourself, Malta. You or someone you love is sick, in pain and depressed, and just got diagnosed with something else. You're in Malta. You're in the midst of deep pain and conflict relationally with someone that you love deeply. And there's nothing else that you can do because there's still distance there. Malta. Has anyone been in Malta before? Is it just me? Has anyone been in Malta before? Some of you have been in Malta. Others of you are in Malta now. You're in this place that you didn't plan for and somehow you've got to see that God is in the middle 
of it all because Jesus has been to multitude. That's the hope for us this morning. He was betrayed by his friends. He suffered the consequences of sin that he never committed and became the, the object of God's wrath against sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be in Malta. And so my hope for us this morning is that we might embrace the shipwreck. We might embrace whatever God is doing in our life right now that we can't control because Malta is where Jesus does the deepest work. It's the reality of what He does. So here's the big idea of where we're going and we're going to piece our way through Acts 27. God is with us even though even through the storms He doesn't calm. God is with us even through the storms that He doesn't calm. So I just want to give you, I want to talk about four things as we look at this story that, that will teach us about suffering. Now, why do we need to be taught about suffering? Because it seems to be the thing that God uses most to advance His kingdom and it seems to also be the thing that we avoid the most. And so we need a theology of suffering before we're suffering. Because in the middle of it, we'll squirm and we'll avoid God in the middle of it. We need to see who God is in the middle of it. And it's said by one author, you know, either, either you're, you're, uh, you're headed into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you just got out of a storm. That's kind of the three stages of life. So, so wherever you are today, um, I hope the shipwreck uh, and God's sovereignty in the middle of it blesses you. So let's talk about being sustained by God and suffering. Y'all ready? Yeah, that's good. Two of you are. Let's go. All right, so first point is this. Uh, we're going to be opening up to Acts 27, starting in verse 13. Uh, despair, here's what, here's what first happens in the middle of that storm when you're, in, when you're in Malta, you're headed to Malta, is despair sets in and we are forced to hold on to God in the darkness. Does that make sense to anyone? Despair sets in, it seems like all is lost and you've got to hold on to a God that you cannot see. Let's, let's look at Acts 27, 13 through 20 here. Now, when the, the south wind blew greatly or gently, you know, Paul is a prisoner. They're taking him to Rome so that he can testify before Caesar. He's the only believer on this ship. The ship. It blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose. So they're, they're headed out. Uh, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a, a, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster, <laughs> it had a name, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed, listen to this, with difficulties to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on, on Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along since we were violently storm-tossed they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. They are bailing everything out just for their lives. Uh, and then it says this, and this is, this is where I want to lean in a little bit here. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This is where... I would like this kind of movie, okay? You know, those like deep, dark movies that don't really have any resolution. That's like my kind of flick. Megan hates them. I love them. She's like, she just, she goes to sleep and it's like, you know, where, where's the resolution? I just love it. You know, fade to black, let the credits roll. In this story right here. You get the impression, um, you know, in this, 
that, uh, that maybe this isn't God's will. Maybe they shouldn't have sailed. Maybe they should have listened to Paul when he said all of the things that he said about this journey. And, you know, for us, don't we get kind of superstitious and weird about stuff like this? We, we, we start to think, uh, you know, this, this kind of opposition we're, we're, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're experiencing now, that must be, must be something we've done wrong. Maybe we could have done things differently to avoid this. We get kind of weird about it, but when he says the sun or stars didn't appear for many days and no small storm laid on us and all of our hope of being saved was lost, he's talking about despair. This is over. We can't make it. We're done. Now, uh, like this story, God, uh, if He has not yet, uh, will lead you into the midst of this. And you're going to be tempted to think, I, I literally heard a person say uh, recently, a pastor uh, that, that God doesn't cause the storm, He only calms the storm. I'm pretty sure that God is sovereign over the wind. And listen, this doesn't make it easy to think about the trials that we go through, but isn't it far more scary to think about a God that can't control it? God is sovereign over the whole thing and He can control the whole thing. It's important to remember in the middle of the storm, and we're, we're kind of jumping into this proverbial kind of metaphor here, the thing that we've got to look at is that when God takes us to these places, and it's as the Catholic contemplatives used to say, the dark night of the soul, when you get to that place in your life, we've got to keep seeking God even though we can't feel Him because it won't last forever. Now, uh, God might be... The other thing that we never think about is this, is that God might be stationing you or positioning you for something in Malta that you don't... You haven't planned for. He may be using you in His kingdom. In fact, He promises to when He stations us in these places when we want to be in Rome, we end up in Malta. Now, you know, when we're tempted to give up, that means different things to different people. Now, uh, giving up uh, in, 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 uh, in my family historically has been, in my extended family, uh, has typically turned into some type of avoidance of pain through turning to some type of uh, an addiction. And maybe, maybe that's not your story, but I have a feeling that that's probably my hereditary tendency. Like if I'm going to squirm under the, the midst of pain and I want to avoid it with everything I am, I'm probably going to be addicted to something. That's probably the way that I would go. And it's, it's, uh, it's actually freeing to tell you guys that because um, it's good to know where your tendencies are. Now, that's, uh, while that might be my leaning, that might be your leaning, uh, other, other people, when they throw in the towel, it means something a little bit different. You know, when you think about the thoughts that you wouldn't want anyone to know about you, when you think about the pain that you've experienced that no one knows about, and you think about the shame that they bring, and, and, the, and, the, and the emotions that it brings to you, different people think about throwing in the towel differently. But the thing that we have to remember in the middle of the darkness is that God is there because the enemy is going to try to, to, to tempt you into believing that God isn't in the middle of it. God isn't in the middle of the storm. All hope is lost. There's nothing to do. Throw all the cargo overboard. We're, we're, who knows where we're headed? I don't think we're going to make it to shore. Now, Jesus, here's the hope of this. Here's how I know that, we, that I can stand firm on this truth that Jesus is in the middle of it. It's because he's been through it. If you've got a Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to just look at a few verses here. This is, um, this is Jesus um, after he had, had a, a dinner with his disciples, a Passover feast. Um, you know, one of, his, one of his guys 
uh, Judas sold them out. And they were headed over to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, one of their favorite places to pray just outside the city walls. And uh, when, they were, when they were praying there in Gethsemane after Jesus had already been given up and they were on their way to arrest Him. This is where we pick up here. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Do you know what He was saying there? Hey guys, can y'all, can y'all just sit here with me? I just need to be reminded that God's with me. This wasn't this clinical thing. Jesus was feeling the deepest betrayal and pain that he'd ever feel in his life. Can you just sit here? Can you just pray? Can you just, just don't say anything. Just, Peter, don't even say anything, right? Just sit with me, Peter. Just sit with me, James and John. Just stay with me, the rest of the disciples. Just be with me here. And taking with him Peter and the, the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, the sons of thunder, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. You begin to see Jesus as a human, his soul poured out before his God. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. I don't think I can make it. I don't think this is. I'm doubting right now, guys. I don't, I don't know what lies ahead. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he, he kind of stumbles. I, I get the impression that he's just so weak and he's so anxious about what's going on. Not in this sinful way, but just in a way that you actually feel pain, you know? We look at this from a kind of a clinical, uh, you know, just a head knowledge kind of point of view, but this was something that was felt. These are strong words. And he falls down to his face and he prays, My Father... Dad, we've been through so much. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Guys, he asked his Father in heaven for something, and you know what his Father says? No. And we hear that, and we listen to that, and we're grateful for that, but in that moment, Jesus felt a depth of pain that you and I have never felt before. To be perfectly one with His Father in heaven. To be God Himself. And to hear Dad say no. You've got pure motives. You've got pure desires. Sin hasn't entangled itself into those things and, and, and tainted those things. And your Father tells you no. This is Jesus' experience. In His darkest hour, He asked God and God told Him no. He felt sorrow, pain, and everything that you and I experience and more. And the thing is, is that without Gethsemane, you and I have no hope. Now, the, the place that God wants to take us through is that He wants to show us His kingdom and how it will advance and how it will be accomplished and, and how it will grow, but it only grows through Gethsemane. It only grows through the shipwreck. And so when despair sets in in your life and you are forced to hold on in the darkness, you need to know that Jesus has been exactly where you are and He cares for you even though you can't feel His presence. So when despair sets in and it seems like all hope is lost, you have to hold on. Okay, let's, let's keep going in this story here. The, the second point is this. Faith is, is revealed even though loss is felt. 
We keep reading in the story here in Acts 27, and this is all playing out in real time for Paul at the time. And he says, yet now I, I urge you to take heart. So, so the verse just before this, verse 20, 21, it talks about how all hope is lost. They haven't seen any sign <laughs> that God is for them. They haven't seen any sign of the sun. They haven't seen anything. And he says, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told, but we must run aground on some island. I have this great new bumper sticker idea, okay? It's Acts 27-26. And here's what it says. And we must run aground on some island. Isn't that motivating, right? It's like hopeless, right? Hey, here's the deal. We're going to run aground on some island, but we're going to make it. It's going to be good. But it's true. You know, Luke writes, all hope of being saved is lost. But then all of a sudden, there's this guy in the boat that's been spending time with Jesus. Right? And he has this revelation where Jesus meets him and, and God speaks to him in the midst of it. And he says, hey, you know, I, I, just, I just have this hunch that it's going to feel like we're all going to die, but we're not going to. So Paul has faith in the midst of it, but there's, there's this hardship that they experience. There's this loss that they experience. Now, most of the time when I start to experience loss, I hit the eject button on the relationship, on the situation, and I tune out. Because I don't think that God can be with me in the middle of the loss. And if you've been around New City Church for any, any amount of time, you, you know that we've, we've been leaning into suffering. We've been leaning into trial because it's the only place we have to go. And so... Paul's been communing with Jesus the entire time and he has this vision. And even though there have been 14 days of complete darkness, it's, it's almost like the darkness has, has cast this backdrop over the situation where they're actually able to see faith. It's revealed. Now, let me remind you what faith is. Uh, there's, a, there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. There's the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And, and in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the writer is recounting all the stories of broken people who God has given faith to and He's built His kingdom on. Now, before he talks about any of those people, Abraham, you know, Moses, and on and on and on, he kind of gives us a quick and dirty definition of what faith is. He says this, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Some of you maybe have that memorized with a different translation, but essentially it's this. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now here's what you understand, here's what you need to understand about faith. Everyone has faith in something. There are no such thing as people without any faith. The question is, what is the object of my faith? What do you, and and you, you find out what the object of your faith is by answering the question, what do I hope for? Now, here's where, here's where suffering and trial serve our good as Christians. Is that suffering and trial reveal what the object of our faith is. They show us what we hope for because we either kind of jump into one of two ditches. We either jump into despair or delight. Not delight like happy, clappy, woo! I love this kind of delight. 
but like just deep contentment and assurance in the middle of what you're going through. So, suffering and trial reveals the object of your faith. It shows you what you hope for. And in the middle of the despair and the storm, we look at Acts 27, what it revealed by everyone, all the other 275 guys on the boat, it revealed that the object of their faith was maybe health, wealth, and happiness, and freedom, and things like that, because deep despair set in, and Luke describes it as he writes the story. But for Paul, Paul had this delight in Jesus. I'm not, I'm not saying he liked it. But he had this delight in Jesus in those moments that he was still communing with Jesus even when he couldn't see Him or feel His presence. So these circumstances reveal the object of faith through these emotions. And so my question for you is, as you think about whatever your Malta is right now, or whatever it has been, what did it reveal about your heart in those moments? Or what does it reveal about your heart in those moments? What does it show you the object of your faith is? Because Jesus is on a mission through His Holy Spirit to uproot and destroy anything other than a deep dependence on Him. And He'll do anything that it takes to show you that He's the only one worth trusting. So what is it for you? Where do you land on this? Now it's important to realize that this loss is felt and it's real and it's deep. We're not just kind of you know, putting lipstick over top of that. It's real. It's important to feel loss. Because in the middle of the loss, you see a God that is much bigger than when everything was going okay. You see a, a much different side of God. Do you allow yourself to feel the pain? Or do you jump to medicating the pain? Do you jump to hiding the pain? Or just that uh, sweet southern bless her heart kind of nature with the pain. You know what I'm talking about? What do you do when you feel the pain? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? What is the object of your faith? What is revealed about you in those moments? Because we, there is a gift for us in the middle of the loss that we experience. If you've got a Bible, flip over to Philippians chapter 3. Paul would write it like this in a different, in a different book of the Bible to the Philippians. Paul would say this, and he's talking about all these circumstances that he's experienced, right? And there's places in the scriptures in the book of Corinthians where he talks about really the depth of it. And, you know, this is like one of three shipwrecks. I mean, it was wild. So he says this Indeed, I just want you to know this, church in Philippi. I just want to encourage you with this. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everything else in life that I could have that would give me hope, that would give me a moment of happiness, I count it as loss. As cargo jettisoned off of the ship, as a, as a ship that's crashing into the rocks, as people are jumping overboard because of the pain and because of the, 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 the tempestuous storm that's, that's on your life, I count it all as loss. If everything could be okay, it would be lost because I would have less of Christ. That's what he says. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And when He says all things, it's all things. And count them as rubbish, as manure, that I may gain Christ. So, so church, when you feel the loss, you need to know that the Father's love is upon your life and 
He, he can enlarge your soul and your view and your love of Christ through the loss. Because Jesus is the only one that can fill you. And He's the only one that can sustain you. And He's the only one that can carry you. So what will the object of your faith be? What will it reveal about you? What will you do with the loss that you experience? Because I promise you, you're going to experience it. If you run from it and you hit the eject button, Christ will be much smaller to you. But if you lean in and trust Jesus, the loss will lead you to life. It will lead you to more abundant life. So we've talked about this in the shipwreck. Despair sets in and we're forced to hold on to God in the darkness. That's the worst part, right? Then the next thing that happens with Paul is faith is revealed even though loss is felt. Somebody's been with Jesus on the boat. That's good. The third thing is this. God is seen and worshipped in the middle of the storm. So he goes on to to write about the story like this. He says, As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them, this is Acts 27, starting in verse 33, As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. So they're, on, they're, they're dealing with the sails. Some of you are sailors. I don't know about sailing, but they're, they're, just, they're just working the ship. They're trying to keep it afloat for 14 days. They haven't seen the sun. They haven't eaten anything. It says, therefore, I urge you, take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. He, he comforts them. He comforts them in the middle of the pain. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And he says, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened their ship throwing out the wheat into the sea. So, so here's what you see happening. They've cut away the rescue boat, the little boat that they can escape on. Um, they've thrown out all the extra food. They have nothing to do but to trust God and wait for daylight. But in the middle of this, they're all like huddled up in a corner crying together and just, and just weeping, right? That might be true, but they're feasting as well. They're feasting in the middle of the storm. It's complete pitch black outside they're hoping that daylight is going to reveal something good to them and they're thinking it's going to come in the morning and paul says hey hold on we got some bread here you guys are hungry let's eat let's feast because paul had been spending time with jesus in the middle of the storm he says let let me pray to my god let me pray to the one that's been speaking to me the one i've been communing with the one i've been getting to know at a deeper level in the middle of the storm let me bless it. I don't, know, I don't know if you guys know Him or not, but I just want to make Him known to you. I just want you to know Him. I just want you to hear about Him. And He prays in the presence of all and He hands out the food and He strengthens them and He encourages them. So this, this, this communion that He has with the Lord and this crisis of faith present this opportunity for Him. They present this opportunity. So sometimes the things and the trials that you go through in life, sometimes we just have such a myopic focus, a self-absorbed focus on ourselves that we don't even stop to consider the fact that God might be doing something in someone else through what we're going through. That the things that you suffer and the trials that you go through and the pain that you feel might be for someone else, not just yourself. And I think Paul just stops to kind of consider that on the boat that night. I think about the story of my own family. Uh, family is very broken. Um, 
uh, on my mother's side, there was there was a there was an accident that happened about a week ago, and 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 the story is, you know, there's affairs and marriages and lots of lots of crazy stuff. But there's four siblings, and then there's this other sibling uh, that that would that came out of an, an adulterous relationship, and uh, and and this this past week he he fell off of some scaffolding. He was a, he was a um, a construction worker in Chicago, and he, he lost his life. And my mom and her siblings are all thinking, like, we don't really know him. We didn't get to spend much time with him. You know, dad wasn't really around. What do we do with this? And, and, and a couple of them are believers. And, and if you don't know the story, uh, my mom came to Jesus in my bedroom when I was 17. And they said, you know what? We're, we're going to stop this trend of just running away from brokenness. We're going to show up because I think God wants to do something through this. And so they, 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 they went up to the funeral and they said it was the hardest, one of the hardest things they've ever been through. The guy has seven kids and, um, and they're there worshiping the Lord in the middle of the storm. Not for their own good. They could have just avoided the storm and just, just peaced out. Oh, yeah, I didn't really know him that well. But they went into it and they got to believe that God's going to work in the middle of the pain. Is there an opportunity for you like that right now? Something that you're avoiding but that God might be using and it won't feel good to you at all. Is there an opportunity? Can you lean into it right now? Lastly, we talked about the despair setting in, holding on to God in the darkness, how faith is revealed even though we feel the loss. God can be seen and worshipped in the middle of the storm. Lastly, we see that God's people are sustained in the kingdom advances through the middle of the storm. Let's, let's pick up in Acts 27, starting verse 41. So the boat is, is heading in. They've been listening. They've been taking soundings to see how deep it is. They know they're getting closer to land. And the daylight breaks. And they really see that they, they have been, but the, the storm is still kind of pushing them in. And verse 41 says this, but, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. They couldn't even make it all the way to the shore like they wanted to. The bow stuck and remained immovable. That's the front of the boat. It, it stuck into the, to the reef and it remained immovable. There was still some distance from the shore. And now the stern, which is the back of the boat, was being smashed with waves. And it's busting into pieces. So they've got this plan. Paul said they're going to make it. He's had this, spent this time with the Lord. And the ship is busting to pieces. The thing is not going to make it. They're thinking, Paul, what are you thinking? The soldier's plan at this point was to kill the prisoners. We've got to kill these guys because it gets back to Rome that they escaped on our watch. We're dead. Our only option is to kill them. But the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. I can't make this up. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So these guys, you know, when you read Philippians 1.6 and, and it says that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. We think about that and we think, okay, that's great. But sometimes Philippians 1.6 means you're floating to shore on a two-by-four. You know what I'm talking about? You see, we don't get to determine how we get to shore. We don't get to determine, and, and I'm speaking physically here, we don't get to determine how God completes us, just that He will complete us. Now, do you think that the, the soldiers got to shore and they said, Paul, you said we're going to be safe. What are you talking about, man? I got busted out by the nails on the, on the planks. I was floating in. No, they didn't care about any of that because they were safe on the shore. 
He promises that He will carry us to completion. Now, I'm not just talking about God saving us from physical things because He doesn't always do that, does He? In fact, every one of us in this room is going to die. His his level and His depth of, of saving grace toward us is much deeper than just physical things. Jesus loves us too much to just let us depend on flesh and material things. Sometimes the promises of God come complete in our life through tremendous loss. Unspeakable loss. And God heals us through those. His promise is that we will be His people and He will be our God and He'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. That's the promise from Genesis to Revelation. And He sent Jesus to secure that and to keep us and to carry us. But sometimes, most of the time, God is doing something much deeper than physical. So the next time that you experience something physical, you lose a loved one. You experience some type of just thing that you're not going to get back physically. You need to remember that God has the power to do much deeper work than what you can see. And he promises to do that for us. We, we pick up in verse tw- uh, chapter 28, verse 1. We're brought safely through. <laughs> they ended up on the shore. And then we learned that it was some island called Malta. The na- he says, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Because, you know, if, if drifting to shore on a two-by-four wasn't enough, it's cold and rainy too, right? In an unfamiliar place, and they speak an unfamiliar language. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, so Paul just drifted into shore. He's like, hey, let's help him get the fire going. Let's, let's get everything going here. Grabs a bundle of sticks and puts them in the fire, and a viper or snake comes out because of the heat and fastened itself onto his hand. So the storm wasn't bad enough. The wreck wasn't bad enough. Drifting the shore on a two-by-four wasn't bad enough. The cold, rainy, unfamiliar place wasn't bad enough. Now a snake comes out. Really, God? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, are. you know what that's like in your own life. You know, the viper's on your arm right now. And you feel the pain and you're like, God, I can't take any more. And it comes out and, and then he sh- shakes it off. Taylor Swift style, right? He just shakes it off. He, he, just, he shakes it off, and then they realize all of a sudden, okay, this guy's different because they're kind of, they're kind of, have you ever, have you ever gone through something or you've seen somebody else go, go through something that's kind of deep and hard and painful and you just kind of watch to see what they're going to do? That's what all these guys are doing back there. Like, okay, let's see if this guy's a murderer or not. Let's see who this guy really is. And then he, he just kind of keeps going on about life and building the fire. And then all of a sudden they change their minds about him. He's no longer a murderer. He's a God now, right? And then they take him. You know, they take him to, to this guy named uh, uh, Publius's house, and, um, and this, guy, this guy starts entertaining them. He's, he's one of the chief men of the island, and, um, and uh, you know, he says they, uh, um, they received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened there that the father of Publius lay sick with, with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him. All of a sudden, do you think it started to click? Okay, God, I don't want to be in Malta, but I know what you're doing now. See, God didn't show him Publius' father when he was out on the raging sea, did he? He, he, didn't, he didn't show him 
He didn't show him the fact that this guy was we were going to have dinner with this guy and his, his dad was going to be sick and that, that Paul might have the opportunity to pray for him to the, the living God who has the power to heal. He didn't see any of that before he got there. Most of the time, you're not going to see it. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? You see God working in, in rewind. As you look back, you say, okay, God, I see what you were doing there. I see what you were doing there. Church, I just want to, I want to land the plane here by saying this. You have to believe that the best thing for you in God's kingdom is Malta when you're there. You have to believe it because you have no idea what God wants to do in you. He wants to deepen you. I mean, it doesn't tell us this, but I'd be hard-pressed to see that there weren't some guys on the ship that came to faith. Maybe the entire island of Malta. I don't know. I mean, God was working and advancing His kingdom even though they were in Malta. You know where Malta's at? Malta's this, you know, if you got one of those maps in the Bible that you never look at, flip back there. Flip back there. It's, it's you know, the boot, Italy, right? That's a great place. That's where everybody wants to go Rome. Uh, Malta is this little insignificant island over here. That's where he ended up. And you know what he discovered when he got to Malta? God was there. And God was working. What are you going to do when you get to Malta? Are you going to let God use you? Are you going to trust Him even when you can't see Him? I hope we can be those kinds of people because this prosperity gospel, this gospel light business, you know what? That's not where your friends are going to run when they're in Malta. It's not deep enough. It's not real enough. They're going to run to people who know what it's like to be in Malta. I want to leave you with a quote from a devotional I was reading this morning. And it's about this guy who was grieving the loss of his 25-year-old son. And he wrote a book called Lament for a Son. Nicholas Walterstorff is his name. And he, he writes this. Through the prism of my tears, I have seen a suffering God. It is said of God that no one can behold His face and live. I always thought that this meant that no one could see His splendor and live. A friend said perhaps this meant that no one could see His sorrow and live. Or perhaps His sorrow is splendor. Church, can we run to Jesus with our loss? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. We thank You from Malta even though we wouldn't wish it on our worst enemy. We thank You for how You have the supernatural ability to calm us when our burdens are heavy. And Lord, I just want to pray specifically for those that are in a place like Paul found himself in Malta this morning. Their, their marriage is really struggling. I don't know what their kids are up to, but it can't be anything good. There's that diagnosis that they've got to go back to the doctor on. There's estrangement with siblings and mothers and fathers. Lord, the list could go on and on and on and on. But there's one thing that doesn't change. is that when we find ourselves in Malta, we see you there. So Lord, press us deeper into that this morning.
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.